there might be a face cream brand or a, or a, I'm a runner and there's a running brand that I use that I'm like it's like these people made this for me like but I am if I step back with my marketing hat on I'm exactly the guy they're targeting right like I'm exactly that guy it's overpriced running gear but that I keep paying for but I'm just I put it on and I'm like, oh my god it's the greatest thing ever and I suppose you want customers finding you and feeling like that about you so that's awesome well one more time tell us tell everybody where they can buy the book how they can find about your marketing company best places to connect with you yeah sure well there's this little bookshop called amazon so you can go on there and type in if you type my name in you'll probably find the book in the welcome to the jess larson show where i interview innovators and leaders today on the show is part two of our interview with ramon segal founder of remarketing ramon why don't you for anybody who missed part one give them just the, the quick overview on the business and then let's give them a reminder about what your new book's about yeah, sure. It's great to be back again, Jess. So thanks for, for having me here. And yeah, the, the company I started many years ago, 13 years ago this month, is called Remarketing. And it's an international design content digital marketing agency that specializes in supporting companies in this life science sector, more specifically the supply chain and outsourcing space that targets biotech and pharma companies. And I suppose during that journey, I have learned lots. I've made a ton of mistakes. And I ended up writing a book called The Floundering Founder, which came out earlier this year and is very much a collection of the, I suppose, the 20% of learnings that made all the 80% of the difference. And the lessons are, half the book is made up of, I suppose, lessons for your business to help you navigate where you are as a business. And the second half is about where you are as a life, you know, sorry, where you are in your life. Because certainly in my experience, running a business can take over every hour God sends and I think it can be an all consuming journey. So what I wanted to get across was make like, I suppose, tips and tactics to help people navigate their personal time as well and how to have a better life and just invest in themselves as well. For some bizarre reason, we stop investing in ourselves as founders and entrepreneurs and we need to make time to actually do that. Yeah. Well, let's start with one of your favorite stories in the book. Okay. Favorite stories in the book. I suppose one of the stories in the book that I quite, I kind of, I come back to, which is quite, quite a good one is we had early on in our journey, we had a nightmare client. I'm sure everyone can resonate with this. And what it was a good lesson for this, this client was very, <laughs> I think I used the example. It's like they had the budget for like an old Toyota Corolla and they were expecting a Ferrari, right? That kind of classic really difficult client and you know even my gut was telling me mm, this is probably a bad idea and you know the project ensued and even on the first call I was like oh god this is this is this is going to be a nightmare and it was a brand project we were developing a new brand for this client and it very quickly within a few weeks you know this person was ringing me kind of every hour god sends he would be on the phone saying well when's this happening completely unreasonable and you know you know and honestly it was like a ten thousand dollar project this was back in the day and it was when we, when we did a kind of a, I, I said to the client, eventually I'd said to the client, look, this is not working for us. It's not working for you. Here's your money back. We wish you all the best. And we shook hands and we went our separate ways. And then we did a bit of a post-mortem of like what that just happened there, guys, with the, the head of design at the time and one of our account managers. And actually we just didn't qualify particularly well. We, I, in fact, got carried away because, you know, this person was in a new industry and they were in a nice fancy location, very charming client, blinded by all the charisma and didn't actually qualify the client very much. And as a consequence of that, 
project, we developed effectively a defense checklist. And that defense checklist was designed to be like both at a functional level, like can these guys afford us? Do they know what they're doing? Do they know what they're looking for? Do they like, can they articulate their business? But also a bit of a checklist about the individual. But, you know, one of the, we still have this today, but you know, and I'll use the American phrase rather than the British phrase, but you know, like, is this person a right? And I could, you could probably guess what the British version is, but there is, a, you know, we have, we have that word that we use both in the US and the UK. And if that person who's going to be our main contact is an idiot and will, everything about them is telling you they're, they're not going to be, they're not a nice person. They're not going to be a good person. Then we walk away because actually whatever the dollar amount is up front, it's probably going to lead to more pain down the road. So I think that's one, and you know, and that particular chapter is about learning to say no. And actually it's about, I suppose, stepping back from that, really understanding who your target audience is and who the right type of buyers are that you can make an impact for and not getting carried away with anything that comes through the door. And not every client is a good client. And I think that's one of the, and I know it's difficult for you know, for any of your listeners that are early on in their kind of on, on their entrepreneurial journey. It is really difficult because you're trying to get customers and sometimes you just have to take on the work. But as your business grows, you should become more selective. And certainly in our business, when we decided to niche down and just focus on the kind of pharmaceutical supply chain, it made everything else irrelevant. So it was really easy to say no. And even now we say no, right? We'll get stuff, which is kind of just around the kind of outskirts of what we do. Like, you know what? We don't really know their sector. They're not going to be able to afford us, et cetera, et cetera. They're not a good fit. They're too small or whatever. They don't have the budget. And we just say no and we pass them on to other people, which is which is always a nice thing to do. Oh, that's right. It's it's tough that you have to go through pain for lessons like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I, I remember this quote. I'm going to butcher it. But it was something like, you know, I don't know. Like, it's like, it's so much better if we can learn from other people's experiences. Unfortunately, we usually don't remember other people's experiences experiences very well <laughs> however like our own experience gets pretty seared into your soul because <laughs> it was so loud and i'm butchering that i'm not even close to the quick like the point is there i'm like man the better we can get at learning from other people's experiences the faster we can progress however life is a pretty permanent you know can be a pretty permanent teacher a well, longer term high you're, impact you're actually right and the, the irony of the mistakes and the pain is they do make you better and they make you much stronger in terms of you know i look at how I operate now. And it's because of all those mistakes that I make certain decisions and go down certain avenues. I mean, I'm just laughing because I remember one story there, which, you know, I, I once late at night, we were moving, we were switching bank accounts as, an, as a company and I had to move some money and I, and I sent a hundred thousand pounds to whatever it was, $150,000 and I sent it to the wrong bank account. And this was like in first few years in business. And the funniest thing is like just before I press, like, you know, you put the digits in and, and actually living in the US, you guys don't do this as much in the US, but in the UK, you know, put the bank details in, you put the account number in the so code and you press the button and it sends. It's more, ver it gets verified now. It didn't 10 years ago. And I remember saying to my wife, imagine if I sent this to the wrong bank account. And then it was going to another account of ours. And then the next day I was like, like looked in the bank. I said, oh, it's weird. It's not there. It's like, oh, well, maybe it's two different banks. It's the same bank. It was two different platforms. And then I rang the company and then. And as I rang them, I was just going through the numbers and said, oh my God, I typed in the last digit wrong. And then, and I was like, what does this, like, what does this mean? Like, will we get the money back? And the guy was like, yeah, there's like a 90% chance it'll come back. And I was like, what about the other 10% chance? <laughs> 
And like for the next few days, it's funny because I remember like in my mind, it was like, oh, that money's gone and you're going to have to work harder. You're just going to have to crack on. Like you made a mistake, like, like, and, and miraculously it ended up in the right bank account because it must have recognized everything else and actually that it was our account and it just appeared and oh, the sense of relief. But in the lesson, you know, rather than just telling the lesson was like, don't do important stuff in, in, in bed when it's late at night and you're exhausted. Like when you have to send money, do it first thing in the morning. And even to this day now, I don't know where I got this technique from. I say the numbers backwards. So we know you type the details in. If you go backwards, you don't see the mistakes. If that, sorry, because often when you read a number, you'll go from left to right. But if you go from right to left, the number appears completely different. So it's actually a really good validation technique, which I still use today because I'm just like scared, scared to death. What about the 10%? <laughs> There's someone shout out with me, Jeff. That's great. That's a great like that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, though, how some of those small things make all the difference. You know, like, um, this is this is dumb, except that everybody gets, seems to get hacked these days. But like two quick things for passwords. One came from a client of mine and a friend from art school 20 years ago. She she ran she runs an agency that does design work for like big, big tech companies in Silicon Valley. So she she invented World Password Day for Intel. OK, and and like one of the simple things was like, you know, have your password be a sentence and put spaces in it. That's really that makes it a lot harder for for an algorithm to crack. Or like I I got to go. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I got to go to Nigeria and train the Nigerian Special Operations Command, and I brought this 25 year Navy SEAL with me. Right? And I'm like, I, I don't know. That just sounds wow. like when you wish you were just when you were like the little boy me so much as I was just yeah. And I'm like when I had those clients doing that, I thought it was cool. <laughs> but on this trip, he just said, you know, hey, by the way, if you want a better password, just swap out vowels for for numbers, you know, like, or swap out your O's for zeros or whatever. It's like, it's a super easy, it's a super easy thing. You can do it. It's not hard. So like combining those two, this is really dumb. I don't know all of, it, all of like, your listeners are now changing their passwords, you realize. <laughs> well, to your point about like numbers, like I have, you know, I have, you know, when we, when I ran my last fund and we're writing like $5 million checks or sending $5 million investments to people, like that needs to go to the right place the first time. Yeah, 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 right. But so I love your little thing of like, I'm totally going to be doing that. Just read the numbers back. Well, there you go. And it's simple, but like there's a lot of potential anxiety. Associated. Honestly, and even now, and I'm, when I'm transferring money, I was just like, it's scarred on my brain forever now. But to your point, I had to go through the pain <laughs> to get there. Okay. You don't have a, a copy of your book handy, do you? You, you, you would think I have one downstairs, but I could go grab one if you want, but I can. Uh, no, don't worry. Let's do this. Why don't you just tell us the name of a few of the chapters and then let's do another story. Okay. So one would be, I can't remember the name of it. It's terrible. I can't remember the name of all the chapters. That's probably when you have 24, 24 chapters. Or you're just tell us about some of the different principles. Think- like, like, give us like a little bit of... So, you know, the, the first chapter is, you know, about really understanding. The uh, second chapter is understanding, like, really analyzing your clients, right? So, and back to that kind of not every client is a good client. And so, one of the one of the kind of, the, word, the kind of tools in the book that I, I suggest people look at is, it works really well if it's a B2B business. And, you know, so you've got a manageable amount of clients. So, you might have anywhere between, I don't know, five and a hundred clients. You've got 10,000 clients, it's much more difficult to do. But if you imagine a, a kind of a four grid, quad, like four quadrants, and then you've got high maintenance at one end, low maintenance at the other, high profit at one end, low profit at the other. 
And if you go through your client base and you plot your clients on there, and what typically I've seen when I've done this with companies is, and ourselves actually when we did this was, you'll see patterns in what makes a really good client and what makes a really bad client. And the reason I suggest companies do this is a, a lot of them don't have the discipline of doing this to analyze their customer base like this, but it's actually much more effective from a targeting perspective. So, you know, we did this many years ago, 2015, and realized actually our best client relationships were in the pharmaceutical sector. And we had, so we had 17 clients in the pharmaceutical sector, and then we had about similar amount of clients in all kinds of sectors. And the rest were a nightmare. They were low profits, they were high maintenance, there were a few outliers, I have to say. And that ultimately led us down the track of actually, why don't we just become an agency that specializes in the pharmaceutical supply chain? Because clients are really nice. They pay really well. They're loyal and they really value our expertise and the fact that we know the sector and all that type of stuff. And that one exercise led us to niching down as an agency. And ultimately, I think was probably the key decision in the traction that we got in growth at, at the end of it. So that's, I suppose, a very, a very practical one, which I think is kind of that ability to analyze your clients in, in that way. And then I know we talked about this in the, in the first interview we did, Jess, but what that then leads on to really nicely is then it, may, it gives you clarity on how you want to appear to the world because you're not trying to be everything to everyone anymore. You're trying to be, and I love Seth Godin's phrase, like be meaningfully specific. Like what a brilliant phrase. And I use that all the time because you don't want to be trying to, unless you're Amazon or Google or Facebook, like you're not trying to reach everyone. You're much more meaningful when you, you're trying to you know, reach a specific audience. And what I find amazing is when those people find you, they cannot believe you exist. They're like, oh my God, you exist. You, you, it's almost like you were created for me. We, you know, you have this, you have this in your own life, right? You will have, I don't know, there might be a face cream brand or, a, or a, I'm a runner and there's a running brand that I use. And I'm like, it's like these people made this for me. Like, but I am, if I step back with my marketing hat on, I'm exactly the guy they're targeting, right? Like I'm exactly that guy. It's overpriced running gear, but that I keep paying for, but I'm just, I put it on and I'm, oh my God, it's the greatest thing ever. And I suppose you want customers finding you and feeling like that about you, so. Oh, that's awesome. Well, one more time. Tell us, tell everybody where they can buy the book, how they can find out your marketing company, best places to connect with you. Yeah, sure. Well, there's this little bookshop called Amazon. So you can go on there and type in, if you type my name in, you'll probably find the book and the book's called The Floundering Founder, which is a bit of a mouthful, but I do like alliteration, which is why. And it wanted, I wanted to get across the fact that it is a hard gig when you when you start businesses and you run businesses and we've all been through that pain and it's very much aimed at those on that journey. The one thing that, you know, I really want to emphasize is it's as much of a business book is, as it is about how to also invest in yourself. So what I've tried to put in there is a lot of tools and tactics around making time to learn and, you know, what tools you can do to make sure you're actually doing that well. This is something I think we're all good at is that networking piece, but just being really good at networking, keeping yourself out there and meeting people and being brave, making like making your own look. You know, I think when you have a bit of success in business, you, you, you know, people say, oh, well, was it all luck? I mean, you want to say, yeah, it was all luck, 
But actually, when you look back, you're like, you know, actually, you've got to make stuff happen. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. You've got to, you know, I remember living in Boston, you know, like, you know, it was Tuesday night. There's like an event on. It's like minus 40 outside in Boston. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to go, but I've got to go. And it often led, I remember one occasion I went there and it ended up, I met, met a guy, his wife was a medic, my wife was a medic. Long story short, my wife ended up getting a job with this lady. And it, it you know, it, there's so many kind of things like that, which are to an extent are just basics, but actually just good reminders. So yeah, Flandrin Founder, have a look on Amazon. You know, I'm very grateful that it was a bestseller. It is a bestseller in the US and, and the UK. And I still get keep getting messages every day about how it's helping people in their life at their journey. So yeah, pick up a copy and yeah. And I'll certainly send you one. Is, is there an audio version of it? There's not yet because I'm a bit lazy. No, not really. And it's a, the, the reason there isn't is because I want to do it myself and I didn't actually realize how much time <laughs> it takes. And so we are, we are working on an audio version, which will probably be out later in the year. But what I would say is I intentionally did lots of short chapters because the way I looked at it was... If someone read for 10 minutes each day, they could get through a chapter in each day. So the concept behind the book was you could get through the book in less than a month. And, you know, it's 10 chapters, it's maximum 10 pages a chapter. So I kind of figured that most entrepreneurs have pretty short attention span and they want, they want things quick and they want some good lessons and anecdotal stuff. And it's, as you can probably tell by the way, I, it's very honest, you know, if someone, someone put a review in on there on Amazon said it was one of the most brutally honest entrepreneurial books, <laughs> which I was like, I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not. Yeah. Well, I think it's totally a compliment. Well, I'm looking forward to going through it. I, I'm excited to, to read it myself. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Honestly, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to be on your show and you put some great content out there. I was, it's funny because my wife asked me what I was doing there. Yeah, so I was going to be on your podcast. And I was like, remember when we met Carl at the time and there was that podcast and there was a guy, if I'm in the guest name, but he did some work for like Ariana Grande and uh, he was talking about Katy Perry. He did like, he supports them when they're tired and on stage, I think. And I was like, and she's like, oh yeah, that guy. So, so that, that stuck. I'm sure there's obviously been other points, but it just, it was a good way of... I, no, no, that's fun, that's fun to hear hear what stuck. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got Ariana Grande on yeah. that name. I mean, it's a good starting point. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you had time to do this. It's been really fun to have Thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers, Jeff. <laughs> Bye, everyone.